This is Carolyn Hawley. Welcome to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. For the next half hour, you're going to be encouraged and challenged by Skip and his guests as they discuss the game plan for life. In sports, as in life, it's important to have a game plan. And as Skip says, no game plan, no victory. Game Plan for Life is brought to you by the following sponsors. Dutch Bros of Boise, an experience guaranteed to satisfy. McDowell's Specialty Repair. Susie Boyle Mortgage Team and Castle Cook Mortgage, LLC. Christian Brothers Automotive. Security Gold and Silver, a reliable source for your bullion investment. Domino's Pizza. Diamond Heating and Cooling. Hoffman Auto Body, someone you can trust. Zero Res Carpet Cleaning and Dodd Roofing. And now, here's your host, Skip Hall. Welcome to Game Plan for Life. This is your host, Skip Hall. Well, on today's edition of Game Plan for Life, we have a real special message to share with you. Today, it's it's about the speaker at the FCA breakfast that was held in, in Boise last month. And uh, the speaker was Rocket Ismail, who was a former great at Notre Dame and then played in the NFL for many years. And he gave a resounding speech about himself and his his story that was really, really well received by the crowd of 1,000 people. It was a special morning. And now let's listen into Rocket Ismail as he tells his story. So we're going to use some scripture verses as a context for some of the questions we're going to ask ask Rob Rocket today. So John beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So let's start at the beginning with you. Rocket, let's talk about the moment that your life changed. Your faith journey begins as a young adolescent, right? With literal light shining in the darkness. So how did you come to know the Lord? Okay, so first of all, I want to say this before anything goes down. All of us, based on this scripture, embody the essence of the Most High God, which is the light of all mankind. And think about how profound this is. In the beginning, let there be light was the declaration when the Most High saw that the earth and darkness was the, the prominent force. He said, let there be light, and here we are. So, very simply, don't forget to shine your light. Now, how I became an active partaker of the light was, I was born a Muslim. My, my father was a sheikh. He studied at, in Cairo at El-Azhar University. Uh, was a they call him El Hajj. He made Hajj. Very learned man. Almost was a Hafiz al-Quran, meaning he had memorized probably, if there's like 100 books in the Quran, maybe he memorized maybe like 80 of them or something like that. And my brothers and I were like little Muslim superstars. However, one of the things that I used to suffer from when I was a little boy, I used to think they were just nightmares. I've come to understand they were demonic attacks. And I used to have what they call sleep paralysis, and when I was about two years old, it just started, and it was relentless, and I would wake up crying, run to my father, and he would do whatever Muslims would do, where we would rebuke shaitan, 
and the first part was supposed to suffice, kept happening. And so he, I could tell he was getting frustrated because it was like a couple of months that it was like really persistent. And like finally he would, instead of doing the Muslim stuff, he would resort to like, you know, throwing salt and, or uh, spitting in one direction and, you know, stuff that old uh, spiritual systems, nothing would work. So I just remember my father passed. We ended up moving to Pennsylvania to live with my grandmother, and she was 77 at the time. And I, as I got older, the attacks would become more violent. And I remember one time, I was about, I don't know, 12, 13, something like that. And I remember going and telling my grandmother what was happening. And so she said, the next time it happens, call on Jesus. And I was like, Jesus, wait a minute. Jesus is for white people. That, that's not going to work. What the heck? It happened again. I remember it happened, and I was being, they were choking me. So it, it's like being awake in this room, but you, you, you're totally paralyzed. You know it's this room, but it's a different version of this room. Like, I was, all that was happening, sitting on my chest, choking me. And I just remembered the conversation I had with my grandmother. And so in the spirit realm, your thoughts are like words and communication. So I just remember I thought Jesus. And as soon as I thought Jesus, that thing left the room like instant, like it, it just vanished. And I was like, oh, snap. I like this junk is real. And the next thing I did, because my brother's still Muslim and my mother was still a Muslim, I snuck into my grandmother's room and I would sneak her Bible. <laughs> I opened up the Bible to Revelations and I just started reading. And that started freaking me out even more to the point where I remember we went to Hershey Park with the youth group at the church and there was a stamp that they gave you for one of the rides, but you couldn't see it. But unless you put it under the black light. And my doggone youth pastor had to talk me off the ledge because I thought I took the mark of the beast. I'm just saying, <laughs> it was a wild experience. It was a wild. So that's how I, became, became, I came into the Lord. And then I was doing pretty good until I was about 19. Then the ladies came around. I started getting popular. And then until about 22 years old, I was out there living the lavish life. And then the next thing I know, at 23, I was like, man, I got to get back with the Lord. This, this fame stuff ain't what... They, uh, it's cracked up to be, and from 23 to now 54, that's the journey I've been on. We will get more to that topic about f dealing with fame. So here's another scripture. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we would walk in them. But you could say not only did God make you walk in them, but you were running some people should know, how did you get your nickname, Rocket? Yo, good question. All right, so eighth grade, I'm at Wilkes-Barre Myers Junior and Senior High School. The eighth grade, the track season starts and there's still snow outside on the ground. So we had to go into the gym and we had to do our drills in the gym. So our coach, his name was Jim Cross. We called him Boss. He was built like a fire hydrant. And he's talked like the penguin, like he ha ha ha. So we are in the gym 
and coach says, all right, we're going to learn how to come out the blocks today. You got to come out low. And in order to emphasize the point of coming out low, he placed the dollar bill at a certain distance from the blocks, and he told all of us, if we come out the blocks the proper way, then we'll be able to pick up the dollar and still proceed in our well, essentially it's a drive phase, and you'll do it the right way, and you can maximize your potential in the race. So upperclassmen, go, 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 go. Finally, I get up, and I get in the blocks. Bam, I come out the blocks, swoop up the dollar, gone. And he's like, hey, what, what the, hey. Nobody prior got the dollar. He said, hey, kid, kid, come here, what's your name, what's your name? All the upperclassmen, I could see in their eyes, they're like, this little pipsqueak, what the savage? So I... <laughs> I got in the blocks, bam, I did it again. And he said, that's it, that, did you see that? Did you? He came out the blocks like a rocket. And no embellishing, no exaggeration, from that day to this, that has been my nickname. All right, pretty good. Okay, now we're gonna get back to the fame question, but, but more directly. So Proverbs 22.4 says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life, okay? So you've had a lot of success, right? In 1988, you win the championship NCAAs with Notre Dame. 1991, you win the Grey Cup. And then you go off to the NFL. And then you retired in 2003 after playing for the Raiders, the Panthers, and the Cowboys. So here's the fame question. How did you balance faith and fame? And what wisdom did Coach Lou Holtz from Notre Dame give you relative to that? Wow. So Coach Holtz is just like a walking gem of wisdom. The most profound insights that I've taken from him wasn't, even though it was during my playing days, it was after my playing days. I went down to visit him one time at his house in Florida and we were just talking about life and how to move forward. And he uh, pointed out something to me that, I, that has stuck with me to this day. And he was talking about the difference between success and significance. And he essentially told me that significance, anyone who has the capacity and chooses to use it to help others reach their full potential and to succeed in reaching their full potential, they are significant, and that in the earth, the significant man or woman is the one that is necessary to allow us to shine our lights, to help us, to encourage us, to direct us, to instruct us. So that's on that level. And from a, a fame perspective, one of the things that I couldn't quite put my finger on when, like literally, I could open up a magazine I can see a, a very attractive model. I'm like, oh, man, I, want, I think I want to take her out on a date. I can call her up and take her out on a date. I remember before 9-11, all that stuff, I remember going to the airplane. I'd get to the, the doggone gate late, and the airplane would be, like, just pulling back from tarmac. I'd be like, uh, ma'am, I'm so-and-so. Like, oh, oh. Call up the plane, come back up, pick me up, get back. Like, I'm talking about stuff like that. In spite of all of that, which I thought was, like, the the pinnacle of life, there was something missing. And what was missing, I didn't identify really until I was 37, but I felt it when I was 23, and that was peace. 
I'm telling you, everybody who's lived, a, like when you're young, peace, like, oh, what peace sounds boring. What the savage? Let me tell you something. You live a little more, peace is one of the, the most valuable assets you can have. Inner peace, because you're in a world where turmoil is the, the standard. Let me tell you something. Peace is the doggone powerful force that the Most High God, he's the Prince of Peace, and we are his sons and daughters, so we have an inheritance to receive and walk in a full measure of the same. So at 23, I didn't know it was peace, but I knew something wasn't right. And I knew that in order to get right, I needed to get back with the Most High. And from 23, like I said, to this day, that's the thing that made me walk in the direction that God wants me to walk in. Even if I take misstep, man, get back on the same, get back on the path, because the Prince of Peace is is how we are supposed to prevail in the earth. So imagine yourself as an apprehender and a maker of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those will be called the children of God, the sons and the daughters of the Most High God. And in breaking that verse down, in making peace, it's those who pursue peace. Everybody, whether, they, whether you're smoking weed, drinking, everybody, I'm telling you, peace at the, at the very root of it is what you're looking for. So... For me, that's what I know. I didn't know how to communicate it back then, but that's what made me realize, okay, fame doesn't bring peace. And I lived in Los Angeles, so every time I was at a party, every time I was in an environment where all the movie stars and all the, the, cele the celebrated people, man, they'd be high out of their minds and never be in a sober mind because they're in an environment where even though they portray they have everything together, when the camera shuts off, their life is a living hell. They didn't have peace. So I'm saying pursue peace. Imagine yourself an excellent apprehender and a pursuer of peace. And that which is in the imagine, that's why Christ said all things are possible for them that believe. Your belief system and what you imagine and your expectations, all the same. So whatever is in your imagination, whatever is in your beliefs, whatever your expectations are, you're now given agreement for it to be manifest, whether it's hell and everything that comes with it or the kingdom of God and everything that comes with that. So let's talk a little bit uh, about adversity, okay? Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. So, Rocket, you're 15 years in college, a professional You've had some setbacks, 91, the Orange Bowl. You had this 92-yard kickoff, uh, kickback uh, return, right? Mm -hmm. And you would have won the national championship again, but they called a phantom clipping penalty. It was like stolen from you, right? Mm -hmm. And you've had injuries, ACL. You've had a herniated disc, right? You've faced adversity. But you, you talked to me last night about something very interesting. You had, a, you had an incident in Iraq that kind of encompassed all that adversity in, in one. Tell people about what happened in Iraq and how you can deal, coaches and athletes should be thinking about dealing with adversity. So before I even get into that, the first thing I want you to memorize and make it a part of your, how you speak to yourself and how do you speak to the circumstances that you're in that are overwhelming. Three words, Lord help me. The most profound prayer that any of us can add to our mental and spiritual Rolodex. Lord, help me. That's how we have to be in times of trouble. That's, that's a very simple way to proceed. Iraq, I was on a USO tour. We got over there. And like 
At that time, I learned to listen to the Lord. As soon as we got on base, I'm sitting next to the PR director for the base general, and we're going, and they're touring us through the facility. Camp Victory was called, and I remember I was like, hey, man, those guys look like they live in Iraq. He's like, oh, yeah, they do. They're, they're, uh, they work on, on, they do the landscape and stuff. What I was, I was like, something in me, like, like the pit of my stomach, I was like, man, this is not good. And I said that because they had us, oh, there was a bunch of us over there, and we were over there like rock stars, man. They had the, all the fanfare. And so I was like, man, I bet you they're going home like, yo, they got some important people over there on uh, Camp Victory. About nine days later, we're in a warehouse doing a prep rally. All the troops, ah, everybody's having a great time. And the noise level and the music level gets to such a point where the young, there was a young soldier like trying to get the attention of us because we were on the stage doing Q&A, trying to get our attention, and nobody could hear him. So I tapped the MC. I was like, hey, man, I think that guy's trying to tell us something. So that he, he tells everybody, he's like, stop the music. As soon as the music stops, you hear the alarm. Incoming fire, take cover, incoming fire, take cover. The whole, every, imagine everybody's here, just, everybody dropped to the ground, and all of a sudden, in the distance, you hear boom. Then you hear one a little closer, boom. Then a little closer, boom. And then on the fourth one, you hear boom, and you could feel the concussion in the air, like hitting your body. And I was so shook, like loins loose and shook all together. It was wild. I was on the ground. And I think my body was in shock, but I went into a vision. And in the vision, I was in a room that was like a soundproof room, and it was all white. And I was in the room, no windows, no doors. And all of a sudden, there was a guy in front of me, and he was like, you weren't supposed to come here. You're going to die today. You'll never see your children again. And it was like this cat was tormenting me. So my body is in the real world. I'm still the bombs. I'm feeling everything. But I'm in this vision, and I'm being tormented by this guy. The only thing that saved it was the wall. Somebody started pounding on the wall. Boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden, the wall split open for about a a half a second. And the guy on the other side was like, he has Boom, and he closed it again. He's pushing. He's still told me, you're not going to make it out of here. And it's like amping up. And then he pushed it open again. He has given. Boom, he said, you're not going to make it. And then finally, the guy on the other side of the wall crashes through the wall, and he says, he has given his angels charge over you to protect you in all your ways, to lift you up in their arms that you won't even dash your foot against a stone. Sometimes circumstances come upon you, You don't even have time to think, Lord, help me. It's just on you. The Lord sent his angel to remind me of my inheritance, to remind me that the protection of the Most High was on me. And as soon as I woke out of that vision, I'm on the ground, the last bomb. It would be like it was meant to hit here, and it hit out there where the escalators hit. It was supposed to hit us like they were like zeroing in on our location. And it hit the water behind us. And it was such a massive explosion and it was so unsettling in my ears and everything like it was it was it was bad. And that to me is a metaphor of what we have to expect. This is what's really important. It's very important that you expect or believe that when the time of trouble comes, like I said, even if you can't remember to say, Lord, help me or cry out for somebody to rescue you. 
it is very important to remember that your inheritance as a son and daughter of the Most High God is that he will protect you in all your ways and that one of the ways he protects you, and it's really important to remember this, is learn how the Most High speaks to you and learn the patterns how he speaks to you through and learn no matter what to obey when he tells you to or not to do something. Understand? Fantastic. So we mentioned earlier that our camp theme this year was, was uh, John 3.30, which he must become greater and I must become less. Okay? So, Rocket, when we talked last night, you mentioned that you had a near-death experience. And tell us about that. And uh, what would you have to say to somebody today that had a desire to know the Lord and had wanted to have a relationship with them but doesn't know the next step? And I think that in that near-death experience, you actually had a prayer that was kind of downloaded to you by the Lord. Maybe you can share that with us as well. Okay. So, and since 2012, I've been dealing with some, like, health issues. Prior to 2012, I literally, any physical, emotional, whatever that would come against me, I, in faith, I would speak against that thing. I'd be like, no, I forbid you to prosper in my body. After doing a lot of study and the Lord revealing certain things to me, I was like, no, you can't prosper in my body. And I'm telling you, it would go away. I could tell you story after story. Anyhow, the 2000, from 2012, I started having issues health-wise, and so I'm at my house, all my nieces and nephews, my brothers and everybody there, there's about 17 people in the house, and one of the things that used to happen, I used to get tired, and I just, you know, pull away, go upstairs, go sleep. This time, I got tired while we were in the house celebrating, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to take a nap. I walked to the stairs, and I was like, this isn't the same kind of tiredness, like, it, it felt like my vital essence was leaving my body. And I remember I was walking upstairs and I got to my bed and I fell back in the bed and it was like whatever keeps us alive, it was diminishing. All of a sudden, it dawned on me, oh, you're about to die. And I was like, man, it was on me so fast. I was like, oh, man, my children are going to be really sad. Like, that was the first thought I had in my mind. The second thought I had in my mind was, at least I'm not going to leave my wife in a financial bind. I don't know. As a man, I just think, like, if I'm about to go, my wife's life got to be better than it was when I was here. So, boom, I'm in the dark, and it's over. The next thing I know, this is what I heard while I'm just gone. Ragib, there's an answer, a remedy, and a solution for everything. And then the voice said it again. Ragib. There's an answer, a remedy, and a solution for everything. And I knew enough at that point to grab a hold and to believe and expect that to be the whole truth in spite of my circumstances. And it was like I pulled on that word and my eyes opened and I was back in the land of the living and I was like, whoa, I didn't feel any different, but I knew what I just heard was the whole truth. One thing I've learned is that independent, any type of word that you get, you always got to get confirmation. So I was like, Lord, I believe that was you, but people have been known to fool themselves. Please confirm that this is you. 
And that was it. I just expected him somewhere along the line. Not too long after that, I came across a scripture, the Lamb of God slain from before the foundations of the world. And I knew instantly that's the answer, the remedy, and solution that we in this fallen world, in these fallen vessels, for everything that we'll ever face, ever encounter in this earth, the Lamb of God slain from before the foundations of the world is the answer, remedy, and the solution for everything we'll ever face. And so I knew that that was the whole truth. From that point, the Lord started developing a prayer in me. And what he showed me was when people come to your mind, when people have that you've not spoken to in so long and all of a sudden it's like a thought, we are a part of the solution, the answer, the remedy that we represent. We are supposed to help gird them up, help encourage them from afar. And he showed me how to pray. And I want to share that prayer with you before you leave. This is what the Lord showed me. So if everybody in here under the sound of my voice came to my mind, this is what I would do. I'd be like, thank you, Lord. Father, from before the foundation of this world, every answer, remedy, and solution that anyone under the sound of my voice would ever need has already been provided, even the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of this world. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would empower all who hear me and that you brought to my mind that you would empower them to receive, walk in, and be the full measure of the same. Where I have authority, I forbid that which is contrary to the same to prosper against them. And I ask you, Father, to stand against all that opposes the same. Now let the angels that excel in strength to carry out the commandments of the Most High God in the earth, for we who are heirs of salvation come forth and enforce the full measure of the same now and forever. And we thank you for the restored privilege by the Christ that was crucified that we have to come boldly before your throne of grace to ask and receive that which is necessary, even mercy in our time of need. We thank you that it is accomplished in the matchless nature, character, and authority of the risen Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. This is Carolyn Holly inviting you to listen at this same time on this same station next Saturday as Skip and his guests go over the Game Plan for Life. Have a great weekend. And remember, no game plan, no victory. 